podcast land. I don't know if you heard the abuse that I just got from Bo, but we're back. We're probably regardless of Bo's. Yeah, Bo's bad attitude tonight. I apologize in advance, but we are back. We are here to talk about another American legend of motorcycle racing, and I know that I mentioned John Hopper, but I'm not doing it. We're going to do world champions first. I'm Jason, a.k.a. Captain Novice, here to talk about Kevin Schwantz with my man, Bo. Bo, no what's going nickname. on? Not much. Yeah, no. What's happening? Bo, Bo, we'll just call you, we'll call you Chopper. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I see what you did there. I see what you yeah, did. Yeah, I know. I make funny jokes. Funny jokes. No, let, you know, let, let, seriously, um... We're going to talk about Kevin Schwantz. And, and, you know, you and I had this text string going for a while, but I said we would talk about Hopper. But you know what's true? Is let's talk about the guys that won world championships in American uh, colors. Yeah, and passive-aggressive we'll jabs aside to those who didn't yeah, win uh, yeah, championships. No, I mean, no, listen, Kevin Schwantz. I'm excited to talk about Kevin Schwantz, yeah, really. We, we, have, we have some real legends. I mean, Schwantz, Rainey, Spencer. I mean, those yeah. those guys did things that were amazing. Uh, and we should we should give them their due. You know, Nicky was a special place for all of us, a special writer. So we did talk about him, and he deserved that. But Kevin Schwantz, we know that he won the world championship in 1993. But let's talk a little bit about how he got there, and um, you know, his riding style is what people remember most. Um, have you seen the video of him on that pass on the final lap? where that motorcycle looks like it's about to throw him to the moon and he holds it somehow and he passes and he makes the pass and goes on for the win. Are you talking I, about I mean, with the Wayne Rainey pass or? Yes. When he was I, passing so, Wayne Rainey. So at Hockenheim, right? Was it Hockenheim yep. 91? I think. I, no. I believe that's exactly right. I, I didn't watch the video, but I read the interview where he talked to the, he talked about the pass and, and the, the interview was enough to illustrate it for me, you know, cause it was just a, it, it, it really, was, really magnified what you what you alluded to about his riding style which was the do or die riding oh, yeah. style i mean you know it, it, kevin schwantz just reading about him what i read and watching a few of the of the historical gp races um from the from the 1992 season um and 93 he was the epitome of checker or wrecker right <laughs> that's perfect you know yep, that's perfect yeah no he he really was um, but but before we get to the Kevin Schwantz that we watched, you know, I saw a little bit of. I was uh, in high school at the time when he was at his in his heyday. Um, you know, he only rode for one manufacturer in MotoGP, but he was on the 500cc two strokes, which were just absolute animals to ride. But he was perfectly suited for it. You know, he was. Let's let's. Again, let's talk about his early life. You know, he's born in Houston, Texas in, in uh, June of 64. Right. His mom and dad owned a uh, motorcycle shop. He started riding when he was uh, three years old. Three years old, yep. And, yep. And, you know, he started on the dirt. And he rode for a while on dirt. He started, actually, I'll take that back. He started with trials. That's kind of in the dirt. But he started on trials bikes, moved up to motocross. And then he did that for a few years. Then he had a bad crash, and he decided no more of that. <laughs> he and yeah. I have a similar story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no more of that. And and then he went to road racing, and he 
I don't know how else to describe it. He was a phenomenon, really. He was just fast right from the jump. And you and I, before we got on, we're talking about the quote he was talking about when he first started road racing. And the quote is, is just classic, but it gives you some insight into how he rode. And that was, the quote was, when I started riding, when I started road racing, I just used to ride like I was on the dirt. It wasn't pretty. I just used to lock up the rear brake going into the corner, trying to get it stopped with the bike hopping and skittering all over the place. That was the way I thought you did it. Now, (laughs) I mean, and that's truly Americans almost to the rider have almost all started on the dirt. Um, I I know that SDK really didn't have that upbringing um, now, but our older guys were flat track dirt guys. And it's really interesting because that style really dominated the world circuits until the Europeans figured out they needed to learn to ride dirt to let the bike move around so they could push it a little more, right? And 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 so some of them still didn't do it, but I, I really think that the Americans are the ones that pioneered the, hey, go ride the crap out of your bike on the dirt to train for road racing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I think we really did that. I think that was an American thing. And, and I was talking with... Uh, someone a long time ago, and I, if I'm not mistaken, it was David at Fast Bike Industries, who we know uh, is a wonderful mechanic and has so much motorcycle knowledge and has been around it forever. And he said that the reason for that was because Americans have so much room in the country. Like our countries are, our country is big. We have a lot of open space, whereas in Europe, there's not as much. It's not as much that way. You, you know, you have tracks and you have a, a European motocross series. They have all that. But they don't have just people out riding in the desert. You know what I mean? Like we do. Right, Like right. we, you know, people just going out there and, and just railing it in the dunes or going through the hills or, I mean, we have riding areas all over, all around us that are just there for us to do stuff. So they didn't really have that. So that was kind of the American pioneer thing. But Kevin Schwantz started that way. And I don't know if you could have made it more apparent when he was riding or not. I mean, what do you think? I mean, have you seen the old videos of him riding at all? Have you ever watched any of those old races with the 500s? You know, this morning I watched the 93 Suzuka race. Um, you know, oh, which, man. When he fell behind. Uh, you know, uh, Wayne Wayne Rainey, um, you know, had gotten a bad start in that race. And then it was kind of Schwantz up front uh, fighting with Ito, I think, all the way through the front. And then... Uh, uh, Betty uh, Beatty actually had made it to the front a couple times. It was just a, it, it, there were so many lead changes in the race. And then to watch all the way to the last lap, you know, um, all I'm going to say about the 500 CC two stroke era is those were men's men. Um, oh, and the goodness. way that There's they an, rode yeah. those bikes is just there, there was, you could see the heart and soul of that bike. On the, on, in the exterior of the, in, in that bike and the attitude of the way that the bike w- was behaving on track, you know, the bike coming out. I remember the last lap, especially this morning watching, um, Kevin Schwantz, I think started that last lap in third place and ended up, you know, he, he made up a place by the end of, uh, the final lap, but only got second place barely behind Wayne Rainey, you, you know, and that was when they were, they were, they were riding against an absolute rocket ship on that NSR 500 against that NSR 500, um, yeah, with it, you McDoing. know, 
uh, yep. that th- that one I think uh, was Beatty uh, um, crossing the line oh, in okay. that particular race. Yep. But um, but regardless, you know that NSR five hundred yep. was an absolute just missile down a straight and you could watch it. It was, it was almost like watching a Ducati in uh, the mid two thousands of how quick when they went to the 800 CC that first year, that Ducati was just in a straight line was unbelievable. So, uh, but, but to watch, you know, these guys come out of a corner and the rear tire, you, you can almost see the rear tire come around the corner before the front tire comes around the corner. That's that sideways, you know, and, and these guys just letting it all hang out. And, smoke rolling off the back of the back of the bike it, it's it's so fun to watch and and yeah and so much fun for, um, probably more fun to watch that racing than uh, say to watch you know sure. um gps of 2020 um and there's yeah. nothing to take away from those new guys but it's yeah just, it's a different world it was a yeah, different no, it era was different. you know there's no doubt there's no doubt you know he he had a fierce fierce rivalry with wayne rainey another Absolutely. american yeah and uh, you know but before we get into his his gp career i keep having to backtrack because we we're skipping a there's lot so of much yeah and, there's so much yeah. you want to get to and talk about yeah it's, it's exciting so he in 83 he quit the motocross as i said he he kind of had an accident and he was like okay i'm all done there yeah um and at the the end of 80, in 84, he, offered a, he was offered a test ride with Yoshimura Suzuki Superbike. Mm-hmm. And he got on it, and then they signed him. And in 1985, he, he went and won both races at the AMA Superbike National at Willow Springs. Yeah, I mean, it, that year he actually— Just straight he finished, off fast. Yeah, and only raced, what, half of the races that season yep. and still finished yep. seventh overall in the championship. Yep, yep. He—, uh, he he then went to, uh, he finished second to Eddie Lawson in 86 Daytona 200. He was mm-hmm. riding a Gixxer 750. Um, and really in his road racing career, once he started with uh, Yoshimura Superbike, he never left Suzuki. He was with Suzuki for the rest of his perfect, you know, high-end yeah. racing career. You know, um, interesting thing about that Suzuki too at the at the Daytona 200, he was riding that bike so hard and so stiff. The Yosh um, engineers were asking him. They said, "Listen, you know, you've got to loosen up on the bike." And he, he because what he was doing is he was taking his knees and jamming his knees into his arms in the brake zones to keep the bike from sh- from getting into a head shake real bad. Um, so they told him, they said, listen, you have to loosen up. And he went off on him. He's like, you know, you, you're crazy. You know, you try to, you jump on that bike and ride at 170 miles an hour and and tell me that you're not going to tense up. But by the end of the weekend, he had loosened up. He actually said that he could have eaten a sandwich on that bike after the bus stop all the way around to the front straight, uh, uh, to the start finish line is how loose that he was on that bike because he, he realized that they were right. And you had to, you had to kind of just let the bike do what it needed to do underneath of you and ride. Well, and that comment, you could have eaten a sandwich, that perfectly describes Kevin Schwantz to me. I mean, he is a, he came from an era where they they went hard charging at night in the paddock after the races. I mean, they, they there was a different atmosphere yep. than now. I mean, the guys now are in incredible shape. They have incredible amounts of physical training. They, they watch their diet. They exercise religiously. They train, train, train. These dudes definitely did some stuff, but they did more partying. I mean, it, it just was. I mean, I mean, they were lining up sometimes on the race on Sunday, trying not to throw up in their helmet. You they know definitely I mean? like, brought the James Hunt to you know the Superbike paddock, <laughs> right? Right. 
but you know, in in eighty seven, um, he he was see then in all two kind he broke his collarbone uh, later in the year in eighty six. Um, in eighty seven, he uh, started that rivalry with Wayne Rainey in the AMA series. Yeah. Um, and Rainey won the championship that year, but Schwantz finished really strong, winning five out of the last six races. But Schwantz, as always, was kind of a crasher, you know, like you said, checker, wrecker, and yep. he those really hurt him. Um, when he was on, though, you better not try to stay in front because you're going to hurt yourself or he he's coming through. Um, in 88, he went and won the, the Daytona 200. Yeah, he then only left. Yeah. Yep. Then went to the 500cc Grand Prix and won that year at the 1988 500cc Japanese Grand Prix. Um, it was only his seventh total Grand Prix ride, and he had uh, done some wild cards in 86, uh, and he had done, uh, I think, one in 87 as well. And and I think, but he is, it was unbelievable that he just, he went out that year and won the first race. I believe that was the first race of the season. Yeah, I think the and, 88, the, or the, excuse yeah. me, the Japanese Grand Prix, I think that opened the, the season um, yep. a few years. That's right. And so he, he went in and did that. Then, uh, then Wayne Rainey came over, and then the rest is history. Rainey came over riding for Robert Shamaha. And the rest is history. And yeah, the next everyone's elbows I, were out. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, those two guys would go at it until Rainey's crash at Mizano. Um, they they were just bitter, bitter. I mean, you talk about didn't like each other. They do now. They have a lot of respect for each other now, and they're very good friends. But then, I mean, if one of them was on fire and the other had a glass of water, they would have just poured that glass of water out. Yeah, you I know, mean, Wayne, was, Wayne Rainey, um, I read a, uh, an interview that he had given as well, talking about that rivalry, saying that, you know, between he and Schwantz, he looked at Schwantz as almost a teammate, you know, and, and says that the first person he wanted to beat on track was obviously his yeah. teammate, but then the very next person after that was Kevin Schwantz, and he knew that yep. if he could get into Kevin Schwantz's head, that was the only way he was really going to beat him because he knew just how strong Kevin Schwantz was as a talented rider, and if he had figured the bike out, because the, that Suzuki was always a bit slower than the Yamaha yep. and then the Honda. So, you know, yep. Kevin Schwantz always came up to bat with two strikes against him on that bike, and he always managed to override that bike and just ride it past the limit. And when he didn't crash, <laughs> he always had amazing finishes. Yeah, I, I mean, he really, really, really did, you know. And, and the funny thing is, you know, um, it, it, it was his style was so distinctive and it, it, it just I can picture it in my mind you know we talked about the Hockenheim last lap pass which was just mm -hmm. absolutely nuts like when I the first time I saw that video I was like oh he's he's done and then he didn't fall and I was like how how do you not fall but over his career he had 105 starts. He won 25 MotoGP races. 25. Second only as an American to Freddie Spencer. Mm -hmm. He had 51 podiums, 29 poles, 26 fastest laps. Just, just an incredible run. And he was only in the series full-time for six years. Yeah, I mean, he got really, called it quits after, well, uh, after Wayne well, Rainey's crash, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, he well, he didn't call it quits after that. I mean, he raced three the races in '95, yeah. yeah. but I'm not I'm not gonna count that. The last real full season when he wasn't when he wasn't retired was '94, and he well, I guess it was really from '88 to '94, um, and he, of course he won the world championship '93, but I mean, just an amazing amount of production from a guy in that short of time. And the other thing was that he was absolutely one of the fan favorites everywhere they went. Now, a little anecdote about Kevin Schwantz. As you know, I've been to every race except for, well, I think I've been to every race that they've held at Coda. And my buddy Tyson and I were having breakfast in the, the pit paddock suite. And who came and sat down at our table and had breakfast with us was Kevin Schwantz. And we, and I just being me, I just started talking to him as if he was a normal person. Right. And, um, I asked him a lot of questions about the state of us motorcycle racing and what was going on and why that was going on and, and what it was like in those years when he was there. And, and let's not forget that when he was racing, Bo, he raced against uh, the great Wayne Rainey. He raced against the great McDuin, yeah. Eddie Wayne Lawson, Gardner, Randy Eddie Mimola. Lawson, yeah. John I mean, Kaczynski. Get, yeah. Yes. Get out of here. I mean, this guy raced against so many legends. Yeah. yeah like, to, put it, to put it really simple, you know, we've talked about Valentino Rossi before, but yeah. Valentino Rossi holds these guys, you know, Mick Dewan, Wayne Rainey, uh, Freddie Spencer, Kevin Schwantz. He holds oh. them in such high regard and, oh, and absolutely recognizes that this was a a different world of Grand Prix I, motorcycle racing. Yeah, you know, I think it was almost the, the golden age. Yes. I think, I, yeah. honestly, I, I think it was the best time. The bikes now are so technologically advanced, and that's cool. These guys had no rider aids, and they're riding an absolute bull of yeah. a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought I'm, I saw a, a horsepower number on one of the uh, one of the old uh, 500cc two-strokes, and they still are pushing. You know, a, a few years they were around 160 to 180 horsepower. So just yeah, there's they no there, there's no mitigate, there's no traction control, there's no wheelie control, and these these bikes still only weigh what 130 to 160 kilograms. So yeah, it was you know, light, not as light as they could make it. Yeah, yeah. I mean in like you're saying, I mean, these guys are riding bulls. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was crazy. They could hold on for eight seconds, much less, you know, twenty laps, and they did it. And, and, and I mean, you know, I I talked to Kevin about those years, and you know what he said to me? What's he that? said, "Yeah, it's it's so much different now." He said, "It didn't used to be. Is an American going to win? It's which American is going to win?" And I, I just thought that is so profound. Really, that's so different now. Yeah. Because we don't even have someone there. But it wasn't if an American was going to win. It was which one of them. <laughs> now we're asking the question, is an, is an American ever going to win again? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, the last MotoGP winner we had was Ben Spees, I believe, American MotoGP winner. I believe that was Ben Spees and Assen, was it not? Pro that sounds right. And and can we just talk about the fact that Texas seems to be putting out some talent on the motorcycle? I mean, I, I, I just, 
I am I am stunned at when I was reading. I mean, I knew about Kevin Schwantz. I, I you know I'd followed him for a long time, but I I was stunned when I was reading through some of the things that he did, and you watch some of the old video, and um, he was he was just the measuring stick by which everyone else was measured. I mean, he was the, he was the, he was the line, he was the bar. So we're measuring you against, and Wayne Rainey definitely measured up. Freddie Spencer measured up. You know, we're going to talk about Freddie Spencer who did in his own right, did some unbelievably amazing things on a motorcycle, but Kevin Schwantz with his style, his charisma being from, you know, it's a Texan. He's a true Texan. Um, and meeting him in person, he's exactly like you would imagine. He he he's a cool, laid back guy. Um, I had the chance that year he was there, and all of his gear and everything that he had worn, all the leathers and helmets, and a couple of the bikes and all that stuff was in the suite that year, and I got to see it all. And uh, he, I told him, I said that is that's really cool, especially for guys like us. We don't, you know, we're that's in your home personal collection. We will never get to see that stuff up close. Yeah. He goes, yeah. He said, I, I really thought, you know, that I, I wanted to do that. They, the track asked me to do it. He said, my wife did not like it at all. She is terrified. Somebody's going to steal something. He said, but I was like, eh, to me, it's just my stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. he said, but he said, but thank you for saying that because that makes me know that I made the right choice because people do. That is a cool thing for us to see, right? Like it's just, it's just really cool. And, um, you know, after he hung up his leathers in the very, uh, I, I, the press conference in Mugello, when he decided he had retired after having a conversation with Wayne Rainey, I mean, no one was expecting it. And, you know, they, they got him up there before the race as normal. He's doing his Wednesday. I guess they still did it on Wednesday then, um, pre-race thing. And he's like, you know, I think it's it. I'm done. And I think the entire press corps just about passed out, you know, uh, that just didn't see it coming. And right. he, I think he left on his own terms. And that's, I think that's why you have to do it. I, I honestly, I do. I think we can, you can get a couple more years out of it, but leaving on your own terms, there's something to be said for that. He retires a world champion. His uh, bike number thirty four has yep. been retired. Yes, um, he was you know, announced the Moto uh, Grand Prix F- FIM Grand Prix legend. Yeah, and was yep. inducted into he, the uh, AMA Superbike uh, or excuse me, the AMA Hall of Fame. I think class of ninety nine, yep. right? Yep, that's right. And um, but, but I don't know if you've ever seen the Pepsi Suzuki leathers. Those are some of the most iconic leathers. Yeah, I remember yeah, those leathers. So much now he won it on the lucky strike, um, right, right, right. 500. But the Pepsi Suzuki, i was it might be one of my favorite MotoGP bikes of all time. I don't know why. I, I just that bike was special to me. I love the leathers and I got to see him when he brought that stuff, so that was cool. But the 34 is, uh, is really, really cool. I, I, I it just, I think, you know, we talked about Nikki 69 being retired. Kevin's 34 is retired. Um, that 46 is going to be retired 100%. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
I mean, golly, he just—he was just so good. And, and you know, he's—he's he's been around racing afterwards, being that ambassador for American racing too. You know, he—he uh, he helped design the track at Circuit of the Americas. Yeah, which there, is he great. Actually, was working to promote that race too. I think there were some yep. legal troubles there that had got—you know—that things had come, and there was an an agreement somewhere that kind of fell through the cracks with Dorna, and then finally they came to. Uh, to an understanding, and then he was the promoter. I think with what three, four Texas. I think was the company that he was marketing it yep. under. Um, yeah. But so yeah, I mean, he definitely uh, has has been that ambassador for not only racing but for the sport as well as riding. Um, opened up the Kevin Schwantz School. Uh, it was in operation for a few years. His goal was to I, to create yep. better, more confident riders. Yep. He was uh, he was inducted in 2019 into the Moto America. Hall of Fame or the Motorsports Hall of Fame in America in 2019. So he's he's there. I mean, he's look, the accolades go on and on and right, on, yes, right? Like yeah. he, he does. But what what I took away from all that I read about him um and and it and I need to mention that after he retired from motorcycle racing, he ran some NASCAR, NASCAR Xfinity yeah. series yep. and he actually did it in Australia. Um, and then he did it for, he ran 18 races in the NASCAR Bush series. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah. much better on a bike I've, though. M much better on a no, bike. No, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, the sport is better. He had to make one left turn most of the time. Yeah. He didn't know how to do that. Uh, he's used to road course, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, but I think it's, it's funny because racing is in these guys. It's just in their DNA. Rossi is doing a full season now in the GT3 car over in Europe. Um, and I'm sure that he will do okay. I mean, they podiumed already, I saw, in a race that they did. But um, I'm sure he'll do okay. But I also know that the sponsor dollars that he brings makes him attractive to anyone in that series, right? Like, yeah. oh, yeah. Yep. So, you know, but I, I think for Schwantz, I mean, just racing in general was in his DNA. And it was... I, I did not know that he had run some Xfinity races, um, but he did. And he did it, you know, just for, I guess, fun. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, he just did it. Um, since, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, and you know, and to set the tone and, and the, the benchmark of how uh, tough these guys were in the early 90s and, and, you know, not to take anything away from the from the new riders or riders in the new era, but you know, one of Kevin Schwantz's high sides at Donington Park resulted in him not knowing which direction to exit the 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 garage box out of. Um, he had talked about you know he had to go out and he had to set a qualifying lap. Well, he ended up sending he sent himself to the moon um, because he took it easy on the out lap and then decided to you know try to go for the win um, on his his flying lap. High sided very badly, came back to the pit. Once he, I think he'd actually gotten hit by another rider out on track. Came back in. They got him somewhat settled enough to where he could go out on a bike. His pit crew, his pit chief, walks over to him and says, "Listen, you know you've got to go set a qualifying lap, right?" And Kevin Swans looked at him and said, "Listen, just point the bike in the right, the right direction out of the pit lane, and I'll be okay." And he he didn't he he went out, and then I think he put it third. Or, I think he said he put it third or fourth on the grid. So, yeah, he, and then made the comment that he's glad that there were not concussion protocols back then. So, you know, just to yeah. show you that the level of the line of judgment, insanity, and pure heart that these riders walk 
walk along is 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 remarkable to me. It it really is. Um, you know, Kevin had so many injuries. Um, you know, and of course we know that Wayne Rainey suffering that uh, that career ending injury yeah, where he's yeah. paralyzed from the chest down had a big effect on him. You know, he, you know, before that happens, his riding style was do or die, like we talked about. And mm-hmm. I think for him, he saw that he is mortal because his mortal enemy is now not racing because of a crash that wouldn't didn't, you know, the bike hit him and that's what did it. Um, and it was just bad luck, but that can happen to absolutely any of them, right? Yeah. Um, especially when you're pushing through the limit that you're doing. Oh yeah, you when know, you when you have to override the bike like he did on the Suzuki, um, it it just things will go wrong eventually. Excuse me, you know, um, uh, Wayne Rainey obviously was on a Yamaha, but you know what I meant with yep. with Kevin yep. the way that Kevin Schwantz had to ride past the limit yep. of the Suzuki. Absolutely, um, that that equation was going to go wrong eventually. Yeah, I, I and 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 I think that happens. We well, we see it. We saw it this past year. Yes, with Honda. Yeah. And that's just the way it goes. If your bike has to be pushed past the limit to be competitive, then it's not, it's not going to stay on two wheels very often. It's going to fall a lot. Um, but, you know, the injuries mounted up, especially after his world championship winning season. I mean, he he was just crashing and crashing and crashing in 94. Um, but he still won some races because he's Kevin Schwantz. Um, and he, he just... I think, like I said, he talked, they said that he, after a conversation with Rainey, you know, Rainey had already been uh, paralyzed and he had the conversation. He was having a rough go and Rainey's like, look, man, it may not be worth it, you know? Yep. And, and I think that just rang true with Schwantz and I I applaud him for getting out when you didn't want to be there anymore. And, um, because that's a dangerous sport. And if you don't 100%, you're not 100% committed, you got to get out. And he did, you know, and and I didn't read this anywhere, but this is speculative on my part, but I'm sure that, you know, there was a piece of Kevin Schwantz that missed racing that fiercely against Wayne Rainey too. And and I'm sure that it took some of that fun and some of that drive away when he didn't have... That you know that that other American and Wayne Rady to fight against you know someone that that really tested his metal day in and day out on the bike. <clears throat> I think that that was probably just tough on him uh, to not yeah. have that you know that that com- competition from that person you wanted right. it from. Yeah, I, I think you know, um, I, at some point you always have to think when is enough enough, right? When have I I've proven it? I've lived the life. I've achieved my goal. When is enough enough? And I think I think Kevin found that. You know, like you said, um, he's like, okay, now cha- I was lined yeah, up because champion, I love to I'm race gonna... Rainey. I, yeah. you know, I didn't care about the rest of the guys. They're all great riders. The, you know, the the the, the Mamolas and the Duins and Lawson, who in his own right was a phenomenal, um, you know, uh, motorcycle rider and. And I've said earlier that he was behind um, Wayne Rainey for most wins, but it was Eddie Lawson who has the most wins in MotoGP as an American. No, I think um, you said Lawson. I think you said Eddie Lawson. Oh, okay. I, I think, I, think so. I said yeah. Rainey. He got I, uh, he had one I, more win than Rainey. He did. He did one more win than yeah. Rainey. 
and Lawson. I, actually, I said Spencer. I said Spencer. I know I did, and so that that was wrong. And I was I just love Fast Freddie Spencer. That's a cool name, but it was Lawson that had the most wins uh, for an American. Um, but it, the thing is, is that. You know, you could have tried to chase that record, but I think it would have ended up hurting him more. And I think the quality of his life after the racing was on his mind as well, right? Yeah. After seeing yeah. Rainey. And, I, and you know, you and I have had that conversation about Mark Marquez. Buddy, don't keep doing this. Yeah, you have to ask questions it, it, such as, yeah. what is life like after this? Uh, after this chapter, right. you know? So, um, I, I think that, you know, folks like writers like Valentino Rossi, um, that have long and stories, storied careers, you know, are fortunate. Um, like Kevin Schwantz, you know, Kevin Schwantz is he like you say he called it quits on his own accord. He was able to right. call a time on his career and say, "Listen, I'm done. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to That's right. move into the next support of this uh, of this sport." And uh, we've even seen folks like Rainey who didn't get to call the time on their um, their careers are still ambassadors for the sport, you know, and. Um, right. You know Wayne Rainey, what he's done for Moto America and where he's taken the level of that. Um, it, it's no nowhere but positive. Uh, right. So right. You know, but um, as far as Kevin Schwantz goes, um, I, you know, maybe he quit a little bit too soon for some of our liking. But um, I think the career that he did have is is just an impressive one. And I don't know if the world really got to see the full longevity of his talent. Um, but man, what, what the world did get to see was just so far above uh, in the meteoric rise that he had in the, you know, the Grand Prix Paddock was just impressive. Well, and, and listen, if you're an American motorcycle racing fan, or really, if you're a MotoGP fan, you know the name Schwantz, and you know as soon as you see the number, who it is. And, and you remember when... Um, Suzuki ran the style of number and immediately I thought it was, I was like, that looks like Kevin Schwantz's numbers. Yep. And, yep. and, and I was like, and later they took they the called picture it, yep. with Schwantz. Yep. And I was like, that's, I recognize it immediately. It's so crazy to me how someone can be so recognizable, you know, just the, just the number plate I recognized immediately. And that's a tribute to what Kevin Schwantz meant to American motorcycle racing and MotoGP racing and Suzuki the as world. a world manufacturer too, you know, 100%. I mean, listen, there was, has there ever been a better representative for Suzuki than Kevin Schwantz? I think you could argue a, a generationally, uh, possibly Kenny Roberts may have been also a, a Kenny Roberts or Joe Roberts jr. Jr. I'm sorry. Kenny Roberts jr. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Junior also won a world championship on a Suzuki, but you know, and and you know, and Roberts's dad was really good too. But yeah, I I would bet you that if you put them all, sat them all at a table, more people would recognize Schwantz. Oh, I know, I they, would. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean. And 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 not that, and not to try and take anything away from. The achievements of Kenny Roberts Sr. and Jr., both of them had unbelievable careers. You know, Kenny Roberts Sr. basically um, started the knee dragging. He was the one that started that. Uh, so an innovator and an American, so obviously we have to talk about him. I think we could do a senior and junior thing, but 
if you think about the number of race wins that Roberts Jr. had, it was nowhere close to Schwantz. Right. He did right. win a world championship, and more power to him. Congratulations. Unbelievable. But he had a lot more years in the championship, and he won, I don't know how many races he won. It, it's not even 10. I think it's, I think it's seven or eight. But he won a third of the races with, I don't know, I don't, I'd be surprised if he didn't have at least four or five more years starts, you know, worth of starts. Right. Um, and, and it was, it's just, I don't know. We just keep droning on about how great Kevin Schwantz is, but Kevin Schwantz was great. He was that great. I mean, <laughs> well, that's what the episode's that, about, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, and, and that's, and I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, I sure have said that Kevin Schwantz has done this and this and this, but that, the thing about it is the legend is true. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. It's, it's not conjecture. It's not a uh, puffery. This dude did it. He did all these things. And, uh, that's, that's pretty crazy. And I don't think, I don't know that we'll ever see another Kevin Schwantz or, or somebody that we feel is like Kevin Schwantz. I think the racing has changed to the point where that's not going to happen. But also I, it's just a, that's a, that's a long, tall shadow. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's um, a yeah, that's a tough measure to meet. Yeah, I, I, listen, Nikki, Nikki, Nikki had his own style, his own thing. He did it his own way, um, and did some great things, but and also a world champion. But he only won three races. <laughs> just, I right. mean, when you start thinking about the American dominance in the early nineties on at the MotoGP level, I think Spain just decided right then they're like, okay, this ends in 2000, 2005. They win no more. <laughs> that's been like, I feel like that's the way Spain and Italy were. They're like, we're sick of these Americans coming over here and planting this star spangled banner in these gravel traps. You know what I mean? Like I right. hate that. Yep. And, uh, and now it's the Spanish and the Italians that are, that are just absolutely dominating the scene. But I wonder, to your point, when you made the men's men comment, could these riders today hold up in that series back then? Because they didn't give one care. That's all about the most PG way I can say it about yeah. your feelings. Oh, they no, didn't care. Well, so that even trickles all the way up into the safety team because the the race that I watched there one of the riders high sided in the middle uh, you know in the track coming off the one of the second right hand or the double right handers at Suzuka the ambulance went out picked him up and was circulating around the track and the bikes just rode around him you know there's a there's a white and yellow flag I think out and they just rode around the ambulance they never stopped the race they never pulled him <laughs> in the pits they'd, listen we got to scrape this guy up off the pavement let's get the bike taken care of and let's move it you know. It was a different time. It, it, it's all there is to it. And no, I, I don't think that our, the riders of today, um, no, the, no. Especially if you have someone like Valentino Rossi who recognizes the different level of the sport and tenacity that those early, late 80s and 90s guys were on. Um, you know, Valentino Rossi has been through uh, the, the iterations of the 500 cc yep. two you know two stroke yep. into the four strokes um the 800s the 990s you know and yep. then even into the technological age i believe he was even on the uh the rc211 v which was a v5 right yep. um when it was a, the fir the first four stroke 
um, in Mo- in the MotoGP class, the created GP class, he's been through all these iterations, and I, I think for him to still hold, you know, the 500 CCs um, in that high of regard just shows you just the level of skill and, and raw talent that it took to ride those bikes, and just yeah. to and and not so much just the raw talent, but the sheer guts to to try to tame that beast at the at the tip of the spear level of riding. Yeah. You had to have two, yes, big round brass. Brad Bender, bigger than Brad yeah. Bender's in Austria. Yeah. yeah, but you know, and you, I'm glad you made that point because Rossi rode that 500. He was at the end of that, so he yes. got yes. a little taste of what that was like, and he saw the sport evolve. Now, is the sport safer now? Yes, 100. percent It is, um, but. That's a relative term, though, too. No, yeah, but I was going to say that's relative. The the argument could be made that the bikes are so much more powerful now. I mean, you you just made the comment. The 500cc bikes were doing 160 to 180 horsepower. This new Ducati, this 2021 Ducati, was pushing 300 horsepower. Yeah. I don't care how far back that and wall goes. Weigh, it weighs less, probably. Yeah. It, oh, it weighs less. It's made of carbon fiber, 100%, but, and, and, and aluminum. But it... it at some point, and you made the point, I was talking about the arm pump. The bikes have kept advancing, but the human body hasn't advanced right. with it at all. So, well, I, I take that back. It has some because of the processes that we put it through, the training, the diets, the, you know, the, the physical stuff. Structurally, it doesn't, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, but, but in terms of muscle structure and all those things, it doesn't. So, The weight you know, bends, yeah. Do I do I do I find myself yearning for the days of Schwantz, Rainey, Lawson, Spencer, and having an American up there that is just giving the middle finger to Europe? I do so bad. <laughs> I do so bad. But I I do recognize some of the greatness in the writers now. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. It's you. I would I would say that the 500 cc championship in the early 90s, late 80s, was bare knuckle boxing, and now they're wearing 16 ounce gloves. Really, I think so. I mean, they're still great at what they do. They still have immense talent, but they don't have to do the things that these guys had to do, and they don't have to deal with the things that these guys had to deal with um, because their bikes take care of a lot of the things that they that your wrist took care of in that bike, in that class, in those years. And, um, yeah. And one thing about, you know, like you're saying, um, you know, one point that Kevin Schwantz made and, and mentioned was the fact that, you know, when you got back on the gas in the same corner with different laps, the bike didn't act the same every time the, you know, the, no, the, no. the longer you would close the throttle, you know, if it was just a little bit longer then it might be a little bit richer whenever you get back in the throttle and the way that these carburetors worked and, it just the bike was just it was tough to ride and and it to was. read that you know they've got a 2500 to 3000 rpm window where the bike operates well and you've got to keep it in that window to make it fast um and, and you know the applications of of power when we feel the power band on the bike it's very predictable to us it, you know a four stroke yep. engine's really yep. predictable we know how it's going to yep. act the first few times around a, a track we know what the bike's going to do but you know with that 500 cc two stroke it just wants to smack you in the face another comment that kevin schwantz had made was it's trying to trying to ride something like a light switch yep 
Yep, it's off, it's off, it's on. Here we go. All of power, <laughs> all at once. It really was. You know, I I man, we have we have taught Kevin Schwantz. Yeah, I we really are wish. we are running out of time, but yeah. this has been a lot of fun. And I feel like we've yeah. really highlighted Kevin Schwantz's career and his talent and who he yeah. is. And yeah. uh, this one's Absolutely. been a lot of fun for me. Absolutely. I, I you know, this is like I said, this is a golden age of racing and this was a fun one to talk about. So to Kevin Schwantz, I wish we could have had you on, but uh, thank you. Thank you for giving us, you know, what you gave us on that motorcycle because it was, it was truly special. And everybody that experienced it, they, they'll never forget it. So I think, Bo, that's about all I've got for tonight. What else you got? That's it, man. That, that, that's it. Just to, just to echo everything you just said. All right. Well, out there in podcast land, guys, again, if you're out riding on the street, you're headed to the track. I know it's going to be cold this weekend. I know some people are headed to Jennings. Keep that shiny side up, that rubber side down. Cold tires are bad, and even if your tires are warm when it's cold outside, you're not going to set a personal best. Take it easy. Um, but everybody else out there, thanks for listening. We had a great time. I'm Jason, a.k.a. AKA Captain Novice, saying good night. Have a good one, and guys.